The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem, which is not what the world is doing today, but that's another story. We have a suggestive episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts, you, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today for the you part, we have our latest regular feature, unscripted cohorts, always fun. And we received a follow-up question to my Arlo Guthrie non-impersonation last episode. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. After the you part comes part two the them part, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today's guest is all political. She's Lois Kanashiki, former Republican committee chair of Blair County, Pennsylvania. After that comes the me portion of the Pennsylvania Project, where it will be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today, I'll be ranting about Elon Musk's response to the bungled lockdown going on around the planet. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, finally re-established, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our live commercials. Today we have Candace Winters. She's a member of two clubs, Sub and Surface Toastmasters and Camden County Toastmasters. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Candace. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Now that we've got a, a narrator again. You're making history here. Great. I have a quick question. What do you like about Toastmasters? What do I love about Toastmasters? Oh, I love that. Constantly being put in uncomfortable positions. Uh huh. Are you uncomfortable now? A little bit. That's a nice looking chair you're sitting in. (laughs) (laughs) We also have with us a second Toastmaster, according to another one of our ancient customs, to read and help respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join in discussions with our guest. It's a role we've always, always called cohort. She's sitting across from me right now. We didn't have a break with our cohorts. And this is her third appearance on the Pennsylvania Project. She's a member of the Drexel University Toastmasters in Philadelphia. Ariel Kamen. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. I know. It's about time. I know. I've been seeing you at the Toastmaster meetings always on video. How do you feel about them? Well, I like the... I like the personal touch of the audience. I like using the stage. I like moving back and forth. All that's gone. Although you can do it, and I have to thank my producer. I mentioned last episode I won the Division C International Speech Contest. Thank you. Congratulations. And we did it by setting up a distance camera, so I was able to walk back and forth. They cut me off the knees, and but my whole head was there. But I, I had maybe about 10 feet back and forth, so I could use the stage. I could use gestures. I could do all the things that we were, we've been taught to do. So it was really good to, good to have that. It's no substitute for the original, but it's it's something. I'm glad you're taking the positives from it. 
Well, and you know, it's true. And I mentioned this a couple times now. I'm actually enjoying this pandemic. The lack of traffic, because the wife and I, we're ignoring it. We're going about our lives as always. We're visiting our favorite restaurants. We drove to Scranton for a pizza. We drove to Lancaster for Indian food. We drove to the Delaware Valley. Grumpy's best barbecue this side of the Mississippi River, if you ask me. And we're going on the Appalachian Trail this weekend. Matter of fact, we're leaving tomorrow at noon. Have fun and be safe. Uh, of course. Well, when you're on top of the mountain, it might be difficult to be safe. But Fair diff- enough. Different kinds of threats. Yep. So you're still going to school? Drexel's still working? Surprisingly, I'm getting a nursing education online. Wow. It does not compare, but I just need to learn the vocabulary to be able to go into the real-life setting and uh-huh. know what's going on. So when I think of it like that, I don't feel as bad about myself, but there is... Oh, you should never feel bad about yourself. <laughs> it's just a bright attitude toward everything. There's tons of value to the hands-on experience that is now diminished because of COVID-19. Agreed. Agreed. No, it's because of the bungling way that our elected officials are handling it. It's got nothing to do with the virus itself. And I'll get to that. It's part of my rant coming up. But let's get to your question. What do you got for us? This is something I've never heard before. Yeah, I was wondering what the difference between an anarchy and libertarian viewpoint is. Well, it's easy enough. I mean, anarchist comes from the word ana and archy, which means no, no overlord. And so they don't want anybody telling them what to do. We libertarians, we believe in a limited government. So we are a whistle stop on the way to anarchy. In fact, I know a lot of anarchists who used to be libertarians, they just got fed up with trying to make people listen to them. So we libertarians believe that the role of government is to is to protect the rights and property of the citizens. And that's it, because anything else beyond that becomes an argument among special interests. So I want my Amtrak, I want my free abortions, I want my welfare, I want this, that, and the other thing. No, 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 no. The role of government is only to protect the rights and property of the citizens, and everything else after that should be left to the free market. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. Is, did it actually work? For it to be more clear? Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Oh, man. Had, even just the Latin roots define Greek. the word itself. Greek roots define it, the word itself. It's all Greek to me. And libertarian is actually a new word. We used to call ourselves liberals, and now we call them classic liberals to differentiate us from people who think they can use your money for their means. But I digress. So what do we got coming in from our listeners? We got to remember we have them here. Yeah, the first question is from Ma- from Ralph McKittrick from Slating, Pennsylvania. Did I hear you correctly in episode 56 with your horrible Arlo Guthrie <laughs> impersonation? Guthrie, Arlo Guthrie, you kids today. <laughs> Are you suggesting people break the law and just go ahead and reopen their businesses? Who, me? <laughs> Encourage people to break the law? Not I. <laughs> You know, in America, if nobody ever broke the law, the judges would all still be wearing white powdered wigs. (laughs) There are some laws that are meant to be broken. Oh, where did I hear that line before? I don't remember. That's a quote from somewhere. And, you know, to answer that question properly, Ralph, when I I first heard that, I just laughed because if I started, I would not have time to answer that question before our guest came in to talk. So I thought, there's enough in there that I could save this for the rant at the end of my show. Let's call that uh, the speech that needs to be said, and we'll pick that up in about about a half hour, 45 minutes. And the second question is from Gregory Koch from Poughkeepsie, New York. Wow, far away. 
There is a group of retired people in the area of the county where my parents live in Virginia who spend their days driving around looking for abused dogs. They take the dogs when the owners aren't around, nurse them back to health, and find them good homes. They don't sell them, and they pay for all the food and other care themselves. So is what these dog nappers doing theft of property or private charitable animal rescue? Good question. We actually started this one in episode 56, but we didn't come close to finishing because we did want to keep our guests waiting. Not enough time. So there are two sides of the issue. We managed to cover the first one, the legal side. The two sides, of course, the legal side and the moral side. And I can summarize that legal one. I'm not going to go through all the details and citing the laws and everything like that. But dog napping is theft, plain and simple. It's not your dog. You can't steal it. Open and shut case, legally speaking. But when abuse is involved, well, now, now it's enshrined in Pennsylvania law, which says that abuse is illegal, plain and simple. Even the sexual abuse of animals, but let's not go there. According to the law, if you're mean to animals, the state can take them away from you and toss your sorry butt in jail, as you would so well deserve. The state can do that, not dog-napping vigilantes. Bottom line is, like taxation, dog-napping is theft. But Greg's question opened up a whole can of worms because it's not so much a legal question as it is a moral question. Let's set those legal issues aside because we did them last episode. What moral duties do we owe to a dog or cats or turtles or carrots or any living thing? You know, it's funny because we libertarians, we love to argue those kinds of questions, especially late at night after quaffing several adult beverages. For example, let me give you one of our favorites. What if we put a baby in a store window with a sign that said, watch the baby starve? (laughs) When, if ever, are you justified in breaking the glass and saving the baby? And it's the same question here. When are you justified in dog napping and saving that dog? And we like to take things further. You know, what about Dorothy picking apples off the tree? Can you do that? How about going further still, like mowing the lawn because you're killing living things there? What about bug spray? What about antibiotics, which is something big right now in the news? It quickly becomes a slippery slope, doesn't it? Because in every case, we humans are attacking some other life form, and sometimes for good reason, you know, like with carrots to preserve your own health at the expense of the carrot's health, of course, or killing bacteria to preserve your own health at the expense of the bacteria's. But we also attack other life forms for very specious reasons, like ripping out one garden to replace it with another just because we're simply tired of the old flowers, out they go. Or what about hunting wild animal for sport? That's a good one. So that moral question quickly widens into a very general one. What duty do we owe to other life forms? Just see why I couldn't get all this in last episode. When it comes to people, I guess there's no question. You can't abuse people, even brain-dead people in a coma who have no hope of recovery. And you can't even abuse yourself. Just ask patients of Dr. Kevorkian, see what he has, see what they have to say there. And as an aside, when I had a Catholic, I had a Catholic education, and I ranted about that last episode. I was told how it's a mortal sin to abuse yourself. But to a Catholic, abusing yourself means something entirely different than what these guys are doing to these dogs. At least I hope it was entirely different. Catholics are out there laughing now. Everybody else is looking at me blankly saying, what's he talking about? Anyway, let's get back to our slippery slope. Because apparently we humans are DNA bigots. If you have 46 chromosomes, you have rights and cannot be abused. 
46 of the proper chromosomes, I must add. Other there are other organisms that have 46, but the number doesn't matter because chimps have 48, and I guess we can abuse them, can we? I don't know. We don't let them vote now, do we? I guess not. They don't have certain rights. I will refrain from the obvious joke about monkeys and voters, but we'll leave that aside. So who can we abuse? Who can't we abuse? Ariel, you're looking at me with a smile. What, you have something in mind? Your whole mantra about not so much solving problems correctly, but solving the correct problems. Uh I don't think that the problem is, the problem to be solved is that people are stealing dogs. I think the problem is that people are abusing dogs. I love it. So we need to maybe, maybe we can redirect our answer here to consider, well, what kind of treatments could these abusive owners seek out in order to not abuse dogs? What is their temptation? Why are they abusing dogs? Are they getting pleasure? Well, you're assuming it's, it's wrong to abuse a dog. We abuse carrots, we abuse our garden animals, hunters, they, you can make an argument they abuse people. What about parents who spank their babies? I don't think you should abuse anything domesticated. It's domestic violence. Why not? It's this, is, this is a philosophical because it's illegal. No, we're, we're done with the illegal side. No, this is a philosophical question. This is why we couldn't do this last episode. It's tough because everybody has their own moral code, and who am I to tell someone else what their moral code is, and vice versa? But also, I have a right to question other people's morals. That's true, but you got to have an answer. You got to say why. Why am I allowed to question? Or No, why are you allowed to abuse certain living things and not others? Because I believe that dogs specifically have a psyche, and I believe that dogs ah, can feel. And, there you go. There you go. Dogs are aware. My that, dog is another entity of my home. You got it. And if I were to take a stand, I would say the same thing. You cannot abuse any life form that has a consciousness. So dogs are out. Turtles are out. Carrots are fair game, though. And, of course, defending yourself is always fair game, regardless of how many chromosomes you got. Which gives us enough of a philosophical grounding to go back and take a swat at Greg's question. In general, should we protect dogs from abuse? Yes, they're conscious beings. But then the question becomes, who is we that's doing the protecting? It goes back to 1690 now, during the Age of Enlightenment, to one of my heroes, John Locke. And he wrote the Second Treatise of Government. Specifically, section 88, he wrote, and I have the quotation here, every man who has entered into civil society has thereby quitted his power to punish offenses, which he has given up to the legislature in all cases, where he can then appeal to the magistrate. In other words, a dog napper should have turned to the cops. They should have turned him in because there's a law against it. Anything else is theft. Seemed like a long, drawn-out discussion to get to that point. Yeah. But it's going to become much more important one day on the day that computers become conscious. <laughs> on that foreboding note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be meeting with today's guest, former Republican Committee Chair of Blair County, Pennsylvania, Lois Kanashiki. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? 
The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? They're not. They're all direct quotes from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you heard ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we change those answers to yes, yes, and yes, and you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Product Project are all about solutions, so we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, head over to our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com, and add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution and people wonder why no one votes anymore. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today's guest is solidly political. She's Lois Kanashiki, former Republican committee chair of Blair County in Southish, Westish, Centralish Pennsylvania, if you know where it is, pretty country. Five-term Republican committee woman and past member of the Hollidaysburg School Board and past state chair of the Pennsylvania Libertarian Party a long, long time ago. Welcome to the Pennsylvania <laughs> Project, Lois. Thank you, Ken. Nice to be with you. Oh, it's beyond nice to be with you. I don't think I've seen you physically since, I don't know, probably since 2002, 2001. It's been a long time. It has. Yes, it has. Were you here mm -hmm. for, for the Ron Paul rally in 2007? I don't think I so. I was not. No. A lot of the a lot of the old time libertarians showed up for that. But you've gone on no, to you've gone on to greater things. <laughs> Five terms. I don't know about greater. It has been a wild ride though, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. Five term Republican committee woman? And for the benefit of our non Republican listeners or non civic listeners who have not read the Pennsylvania Constitution, what is a committee woman? Well, the um, the major parties are organized in 
by committee. So there's the national committee, and there's every state has their own separate co- committee, and then each county has its own committee. And these committees are basically sovereign entities. They're very, they have very uh, little regulation. They are self-governing pretty much, and uh, they have quite a bit of power in the political system. In fact, uh, a lot of times the candidates you see on your ballot, it's a direct result of the actions taken by these committees. So they're very important in the parties, and uh, they can be used for good or for evil. I was going to say, so you're kingmakers or queenmakers, whatever the case may be. You, it depends. Uh, every every county committee is run differently, but in the southeast, they do tend to be kingmakers, which is a problem because of uh, the population down there. It's you know highly populated. Out here where I live, uh, we are a little more open about the process and let the primary process play out. But in the southeast and in other parts. Uh, the party leaders do like to control the process and who gets on the ballot and who doesn't, and it can get kind of ugly. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you enjoy it, Pina? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, you, I did enjoy it. You the, I did enjoy it because I thought it, I saw it as an opportunity to reform the party and reform the process, get people involved, and that was my mission. And I still do believe in the mission. It, it, we called it the Precinct Project, and I worked on it for 10 years and got a lot of people across Pennsylvania involved directly in their county committees. And it's still a very important uh, part of the political process and political uh, uh, involvement. And I, I highly encourage people, you know, to look, to run for those positions in their precinct uh, now or in the future. In fact, a lot of your listeners, if they're registered in one of the major parties, when they go vote, uh, if they vote this primary, they'll, they may see a blank spot on the on their ballot that they can just write their name in and get elected through a write-in vote. Uh-huh. Now, you know, we libertarians, we've done that a lot, especially some of the local mm-hmm. offices. If somebody doesn't run, we just encourage people to write themselves in. We've had right. people win with one, two votes, things like that. Yep. Happens all the time. Yeah. And, and Lois, pardon me for correcting a lady, but we call them the two old parties, not major parties. There's nothing major about them. They're except for the major messes the that parties. they do. Okay, I can go with that. The two old, and, old parties. And we are the challenger parties. You know, the third party is very dismissive. State law calls us minor political parties. I mean, isn't that awful? Make me cry. That's a technical term. Uh, don't take it personally. Oh, uh, you're right. <laughs> you know, when you're in politics, you can't take anything personally. You gotta have, yes. a, gotta have a thick skin. Because I've been involved, I guess the first time I ran was in 1994. And here it is, what, over a generation later, and I'm still in the game. I'm having fun. Well, how about you? You're, it's, uh, you're, it's former committee chair, former five-time uh, former member. Are you going back in? Uh, I'm on the ballot. I have a contested primary with three of us on the ballot for two spots. For, and, uh, for what office? Know, for, for the local committee. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I'm going to try to kick the guy out who kicked me out last time. <laughs> how it goes. uh, It's kind of a long story how I got kicked out, but um, uh, that's why I'm not chair anymore, because in order to be elected chair, you have to be an elected committee member, and the committee members elect the chair, and I would have easily gotten re-elected chair, but I got kicked out of my precinct, and that had to do with things that happened while I was on the school board, actually. So there were 
all kinds of things going on in my life the last few years, and it got <laughs> a little, got very dicey, Ken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I lost my school board reelection in November by 19 votes, Ouch. and I lost, and I got crushed in my precinct for uh, the committee spot. So my life changed a lot, very all of a sudden. <laughs> wow, it sounds <laughs> and, like uh, sounds like somebody had it out for you. Yeah, they did. They did. It's um, it's quite a story. It was a wild, wild ride. <laughs> uh, well, we we have about four minutes before the break. If you want to tell, that's up to you. We, because I want to talk about your your school board stuff too. We want to talk about yeah, schools. I do. But we can. I do too, because uh, you know, half the school board members are up for re-election next spring, and I wanted to tell your listeners how important it is to get. Uh, people who don't have conflicts of interest with school districts on school boards, because I, in my opinion, our biggest problem in Pennsylvania and probably all over the country, but I know here, is that we have people on school boards who have conflicts of interest who should not be there making the decisions that they make um, at contract negotiation time and all kinds of other decisions. But there, we have spouses of teachers, lots of spouses of teachers. We have parents of teachers. We have former administrators former teachers, all these people have a vested interest in making sure your taxes go up every year and that uh, people who work for school districts get very generous raises and very generous benefits uh, every time these contracts come up for negotiation. And I would challenge all of your listeners to do a right-to-know request, get a, get a copy <laughs> of those that, that contract, that teacher's contract. You will not believe, you can't make the stuff up that's in that contract. You have to read it. It is unbelievable. And a lot of it is right in the school code that it has to be in the contract. But really? there's stuff in there that doesn't have to be in the contract, Ken. They can negotiate it out. And uh, I just, you should go, people should go read it. You will not believe what these, uh, these people get, um, what kind of benefits they get. It is truly, you can't make that stuff up. For, for example, I mean, what, what's the most outrageous thing or, that you can think of or something? Well, you know, they're off all summer. And then on top of that... They get like ten or ten additional vacation days, and they get personal days, and they get sick days. I mean, they get days for everything. They get, uh, I mean, it's just you name it, and and it's in there. And then if they don't take the days, they get to accumulate them, and and it gets uh, added to their their pension uh, benefits that they're going to receive when they retire, and it all adds up. And man. Those bills are piling up like crazy, and uh-huh. it's all on the taxpayer. And, you know, until recently, teachers could retire when they're, like, 50, 55 years old, and they could be living off the taxpayers, you know, for 30, 40 years. And don't let them tell you, oh, we paid into it. Yeah, they paid into They pay a measly 5% of their salary into the <laughs> pension. The pension costs at least a quarter of their salary. They pay 5 it is crazy. Nobody gets those kind of benefits in the private sector. Nobody. Lois, it's this is Ariel, the cohort here on Ken's show. I actually have a question for you. Uh, what kind of initiatives <coughs> do you want to push being on the school board? Well, you know, you can't do anything about the financial stuff until like budget time and contract negotiation time. So, what I wanted to do in a second term, this was my big project, is work to get, um, I wanted to get surveys in the school. I wanted teachers to be evaluated at the end of every school year by all their students and their parents. And I, uh, 
uh, based on surveys, and I wanted to collect that data to get some real information on how teachers were doing because one of the biggest rackets in public education is that teachers are not evaluated on their instructional ability and no. how they're doing in the classroom. Regardless of what they tell you, they are not being evaluated on that. And that is a crying shame because there are thousands and thousands of kids stuck in classrooms with teachers who do not belong there. And if you have any, if you ever knew any parent who had a kid stuck in a math class with a teacher who could not teach math, all you need is for a kid to fall behind one year in math, and that kid can be ruined for the rest of their K through 12, and maybe for their whole life with any possibility, uh, you know, outside of extenuating circumstances of having any kind of career that requires a solid foundation in math. And that's just a crime. It's not acceptable. It really isn't. Well... Lois, I mean, you just blew me away with that. And, you know, we're going to come back to that one after the break because I got other questions. And, Ariel, did that answer your question? I mean, I mean, it's interesting because <laughs> from now in college, after every term, we get to evaluate our professors. But that is I've never had the ability to evaluate a professor until now. I never had the, ab- right. I never had the ability and at it's all. Right. It, it, it's no, not it's right. No, it's not right. Because it's not, there's no accountability and we keep these people in there and there's this like everybody pretends like all the teachers are great and everybody knows it's not, it's not true. true oh man it's so- absolutely not true and you know there are i and i appreciate the good teachers i i do i i swear to god oh, yeah. a good teacher is worth their weight in gold but platinum you know, they're Platinum's all worth being, more these being days. paid the same regardless of how they're doing and it's just not right uh-huh. Lo- lois you know what you are as I remember you. You've got that fire in the belly. I could see you leaning forward as you're talking here. I tell you, you the man, woman. There's no question about it. <laughs> All right. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information with our former Republican and future Republican committee chair of Blair County, Lois Kanashiki. Do you like the Pennsylvania Project? You must. After all, you're listening to it right now. But would you like more? More of the rants, the guests, the fun? Well, you're in luck, because by popular demand, we've added even more content. Things like keeping the mics live after the credits roll at the end of the show while we continue our on-air conversations. It's all 100% unscripted and often includes things like we can't say on the, sh- on the air or shouldn't. Would you like access to each episode the day it's recorded? live streams of every show as it happens, behind-the-scenes interviews and bonus videos with our guests. All this is now available at PennsylvaniaProject.com. But wait, there's more. Sign up today and you also get a copy of Ken's novel, Atlas Snubbed, a parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And you can even call in live and participate on the show. How's that for more content? You can be the content. So if the idea of more Pennsylvania Project excites you, head on over to PennsylvaniaProject.com and click the More Fun link at the top of the page. Solve the correct problem correctly and sign up today. Hey, Ariel here, cohort on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for commitment leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do these words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. 
The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio. So turn your life around like I have. Visit toastmasters.org and contact the club near you. Visitors are always welcome. And be sure to mention my name, Ariel. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't even have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Fly fishermen, new and old, understand the importance of affordable quality gear. At Christopher Fave Fly Fishing, we have provided that for over a quarter century. Whether you fish dries, wets, or any combination, Christopher Fave, F-A-V-E, flyfishing.com has an American-made leader for you. Pennsylvania proud, our reputation rests solely on your complete satisfaction. Again, that's ChristopherFaveFlyFishing.com. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project and Lois Kanashiki, former Republican committee chair of Blair County, Pennsylvania. Still with hello us? Again. Hello yeah, again. Hello again. A lot shorter than the last time you and I said goodbye and hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ken, before you get going, um, I wanted to say if any of your listeners <coughs> out there want to run for school board next year, mm-hmm. I would be happy to help anybody who wants to run and help them get elected. I'm, wow. I got, I've gotten pretty good at winning local races, and uh, I give out my phone number. They can call me if you're if you're a liberty person and you want to help and help us clean up these school boards and and uh, get them on the straight and narrow, I'll I'll help you out and tell you what to do. Well, do you want to give it on the air? Do you want to? How do you want us to spread that? My phone number is eight one four two zero seven zero zero one one. You can also find me on Facebook. My last name starts with a K. So uh, uh, give me a call or email or text me and I'll be happy to help if you're serious if you're really serious and you want to get in there and and uh make some changes you know I'll, I'll help you out 814-207-0011 okay oh, oh one one good thank you and you know and I'll say it again Lois you have not changed in 20 years you have not changed <laughs> No, I, I curse more. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the air. We uh, remember George Carlin and the seven words that you can't say. Although yeah. I think it's gone up to about forty-seven words now, but it changes. <laughs> I want to come back to teachers not being evaluated on performance. What yeah. the? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's. It's interesting because the Department of the, the Department of Education has. It's a, it's all regulated, so they have like this these metrics. And it's like it's divided into four areas and like their actual instruction is only like 20 percent 
of the evaluation. So the other parts are like, you know, is the environment welcoming or whatever? Like, does it look nice in the classroom? And, mm. and like, does the teacher like, like dress nicely? <laughs> you know, I mean, the other metrics have nothing to do with instructional quality or anything to do with the quality of education. And they purposely do that to water down the evaluation so they can hide instructional inadequacy and incompetency. Huh. And it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's just awful. Well, Lois, we're all about solutions at the Pennsylvania Project. How can we get around that? Well, you, you have, well, you need, legis- I mean, in fact, they just did pass legislation. And unfortunately, I found out about it too late. Senator Almond uh, passed a new uh, law that, that raised the instructional part of it like 10%. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. It's still not good enough. It went from like, 10% to 20% or 15% to 25 or It should be 90%. Like I know. And I, I was really angry because if I had learned about the bill early enough, we could have gotten in there and lobbied on it. But um, like one of the things I do is I have signed up on the Pennsylvania General Assembly website to get notifications every day when bills are introduced into uh, into committees. So like if you're interested in education issues, you can sign up to get uh, notifications of bills that are going into the education committee, and then you can follow. And then um, if you see a bill that's really good or really bad, then you can start, um, you know, you can try to find out if it's going to go anywhere. You can start lobbying against it. But I found out about this one bill about the instruction, about the teacher evaluations. Is You know, they told me, I got so angry with those people. I said, they told me they had all the stakeholders at the table. I'm like, Really? Yeah, and then uh, somebody else told me it was just basically <laughs> teacher union people. I'm like, you did not have all the stakeholders at the table, because if you did, you wouldn't have come out no, with this. Why does this require yeah. a law? Can't I just go to my school board and say, do this? Or are they prevented by law from doing that? Well, see, that's what I thought that these these surveys would help with. If we got the student, If we got these student and parent surveys, then I thought eventually we could get it in the teacher's contract that this would be used as part of their evaluation. Now, I don't really know if it's legal, but see, if, if you got this, if you got this is strategic, if you get the surveys and you find out that there is a, there's something not matching up between what you're getting, the feedback from the surveys and then the teacher's evaluations. So say the administration is telling you that this teacher is doing fine based on their evaluations, but you're getting a lot of negative feedback from parents and students. You've got a disconnect and you know there's a problem. Now you've got evidence you can take to the legislature and you can get really get things changed. But we don't have any real hard evidence. All we have is anecdotal. Well, yeah. If we were collecting these surveys, we would have hard evidence that things are all messed up. See, right now we don't have that. No. But I don't, otherwise, you're, you're fighting the unions. Every time you try to change anything, you're, the unions fight back, and the whole legislature is basically, or I would say 80% of the legislature, is scared to death of the teachers' union. They're the most powerful lobby in Harrisburg. Well, they have so, 40% of yeah. the budget. What do you expect? Yeah. It's, it's, so, I mean, technically they could change it any time, but... I mean, I don't have any confidence they're going to do that. Every time we try to change something a little bit, it, you know, they roll it back. My, <sighs> my state senator, John Eichelberger, had got some changes in there, and they, as soon as he left the Senate, they rolled it all back. Well, it's like, well, really? You know, so you, we shouldn't have to have a state law about it. It should be I local agree. control. I agree. But, 
But, but you know, we, we have this terrible mess of all these different levels of government, and they're all butting their nose in our business, <laughs> and it's, it's awful. Hey, huh. Lois, have you ever tried to contact the student governments within these schools? Because I know at least the high school level, there is a student government that actually has tons of say in what happens to the school and what the student body does. And if you, what you're looking <clears throat> for is for students to fill out surveys, it could be more realistic if other students are the ones pushing it and not an older yeah. person. Because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, where can individuals ages 18 to 35 even get information about the committees here. People that aren't people that are below the age of 35 don't know about this stuff. I just know because Ken took me under his wing and just taught me everything <laughs> I know. But yeah, right. A lot of a lot of students and a lot of uh, adolescents just don't know about this stuff. Right. Well, the thing about the county committees, it's very interesting because it's the best kept secret in politics, and that's what I learned. And, uh, the first step would be to find out about your local committee, uh, see if you if they have a website, find out if they have meetings that you can attend. Um, every committee is different. Like in, in the southeast, they have a lot of districts within the county committee, so the districts may have their own meetings, and you could see if you could attend those. But check those out. See if there's meetings you can attend. Get a hold of the bylaws and read them because – the bylaws tell you the way it's supposed to be, not the way it necessarily is. They're very interesting to read. The thing about the local committees is, like I said, they're, it's not like, like school boards where it's dictated all by the state and federal government. They are self-governing with very few exceptions. In fact, they rig the game in their own favor, <laughs> and that's what goes on. But they can be, they can be changed, in fact, um, I've done a lot of work here to change our bylaws. We've gotten some changes to decentralize the control and the power. And um, But what about the know, students? Where can the students get this information? Where can we share this idea with the kids in the high schools and in the elementary yeah. schools that talk bad about their teachers to their parents, but they're, it's only going to their parents. It's only a dinner table topic. How can, it, how can we expand well, that? Well, it's the, the the difficulty I have found is that people are afraid to speak out because they think their kids are going to be punished for it in the classroom. So oh, yeah. most people don't want to speak out, and that's that's a big problem because if people aren't willing to get involved, we can't change anything. Um, I mean, kids have to ask their parents to run for school board. You know, well, no, um, as kids, I I I mean, as kids, I I guess they could attend school board meetings and. The student government, like in our in our school district, they get a chance to give a report at the school board meetings, but they never have anything controversial in them. It's just a report, like on what the kids are doing in school. Well, then who's who's filling out these surveys? The ones that you have now, where it's ten percent this, twenty percent that. We don't have them now. I wanted to implement them. Well, so in fact, how do they how do they rate the teachers? You just said that there's a law to go from ten to twenty percent on education. Who makes that the, determination? The, 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 um, the administrators basically go in and do the evaluations. It's like the principals and so the superintendents. So it's, it's, it's administrators, and some of them don't even a, have teaching experience. So it's the it's the fox guarding the hen house. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh absolutely. man, Lois, we're down to our we're down to our final minute. Is there something that we haven't talked about that you want to get into? I wanted to talk to you about the Libertarian Party, but I, I guess that's not as important. I'm listening to what you're saying here, Lois. This is fascinating stuff. I've learned things that I don't know. So. 
like I said, we're down to the last minute or so here. What do you what do you got we haven't talked about? What do you want to just repeat or something? Well, I just want to say it can be frustrating being in local government, but, um, you know, uh, you, there are things you can accomplish and can get done, but you've got to get in with the the understanding that it's not going to be easy, but nothing worth doing is ever really easy, you know? So yes, ma'am. Stick with it and get some friends and go for it and call me if I can help you. All right. And that number again is 814-207-0011. Our one-stop on shop. Yep, Lois Kaneshiki, K-A-N-E-S-H-I-K-I, if I remember correctly. Very good. Yeah. Sounds good, Lois. Thank you so much for being on the show, and that's going to have to wrap it up for the them portion. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw: Elon Musk's response to the bungled lockdown. Thank you, Ken. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Candace, how's it going? Bad, Ken. Really bad. Why? What's the matter? Our friends at the Infernal Revenue Service paid me a personal visit the other day. The Infernal Revenue Service? Yep. Call them for what they are. They sent these two big brutes to the house. Scared us all half to death. I bet. What do they want? Money. Lots of it. Remember that part-time gig I took on last summer? Oh, yeah. You were raking in some big bucks. Yeah, and all those big butts went straight into my personal bank account. It turns out the IRS doesn't like that, and I didn't file any of the right forms or pay nearly enough in taxes. So they want it all right now. Plus penalties and interest. Ouch. Sounds like you should have called Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Man, I wish I knew about Amendment 16 sooner. Where can I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all. Have you heard the big news? The Pennsylvania Project is expanding dramatically. Each episode is now being broadcast multiple times a week on WWDB Talk Radio in Philadelphia, and the show has recently gone into syndication across Pennsylvania. Our success can be your success as well. A limited number of opportunities have recently come available where you can advertise affordably on the Pennsylvania Project. Not only will your message be heard throughout Pennsylvania's largest media market by far, all past episodes are always available for downloading at PennsylvaniaProject.com, at WWDB's website, iTunes, and from many other popular podcast providers. So here's your chance to become a permanent part of the first liberty-oriented talk show radio on WWDB since the legendary Irv Homer hung up his headphones. Interested? Drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com today. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the me portion of episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, it's Elon Musk's response to the bungled viral lockdown. 
Now, this particular rant was triggered by a combination of two completely unrelated things. The first was a question from one of our regular listeners, Ralph McKittrick up in Sladington. He asked, to repeat, Did I hear you correctly in episode 56 with your horrible Arlo Guthrie impersonation? Are you suggesting people break the law and just go ahead and reopen their business? Well, for the record, Ralph, what I said was, quote, If you're the frontline, in-their-faces patriot type, why not consider just going ahead and reopening your business? Your example might encourage others, and theirs might encourage others still. So why not lead by example? And that's what I said. As for the paraphrasing of Arlo Guthrie's song, Alice's Restaurant, we know the song, some of us do anyway, Ariel doesn't, went along the lines of this, if one person, if just one person does it, they may think he's really crazy and try to shut him down. But if two people, if two people try to do it in harmony, they'll try to shut both of them down. And if three people do it and so on and so on, you know the song, or maybe you don't. But let me stop right there. Let me stop my poor impression. But it's the message, not the delivery, that really matters. And people need that message because too many people are blindly following all the official nonsense. In my opinion, government is deliberately scaring people and making things out as badly as, I can, as they possibly can. Why? I don't know. I couldn't say. Maybe it's a test to see how much people will tolerate. Maybe it's part of some vast political game to unseat or reseat leadership by making them look great or like the bunglers they really are. I don't know. But as I quoted in episode 56, by their fruits shall you know them. Unfortunately, we can see their fruits clearly locking people in their homes, seizing their businesses and their way of life, destroying the economy, driving us in deep, deep, deep debt from which we might never recover. Sounds like some pretty crappy fruit, if you ask me. Fortunately, here in Pennsylvania and all over the country, people are starting to wake up and starting to stand up. I was at the open, reopen Pennsylvania rally last week, and there were thousands there all calling for an end to the bungling. And our guest today, we didn't talk about it, but she's going to be doing one in Blair County soon. We need more rallies, more people going to rallies, more people speaking out. And just this week, a very loud voice spoke out clearly. It was a corporate leader, probably the best known corporate leader in the nation, Elon Musk, founder of Tesla Motors, founder of SpaceX, co-founder of PayPal and a whole bunch of other things. And by the way, one of my personal heroes, and now more so after what he just said. The venue for his remarks was a typically dull, dull, dull earnings report, talking about EBITs, GAAP, EPS, and other alphabet soupish acronyms that would only thrill an accountant. Assuming you could ever thrill an accountant, I don't know if you can do that or not, but I digress. It was squarely in the middle of the first quarter earnings report. It's like an hour and a half earnings report. If you go look, it's about 30, 40 minutes in. It was in response to an innocent question from some stock analyst, and Elon went way, way off script. And only more corporate leaders had the courage to do this. Man, this world would be a better place. What did he say? I hear you cry. Let me read it. And I'm, I'm going to skip to his style of speaking. I don't know if I could do that. I'm a Toastmaster. Ready? Quote, We are a bit worried about not being able to resume production in the Bay Area. And that should be identified as a serious risk. The expansion of shelter-in-place orders, or frankly, as we call it, forcibly imprisoning people in their homes against all their constitutional rights and breaking people's freedoms in ways that are horrible and wrong, and not why people came to America or built this country in the first place. What the f 
It's an outrage. It will cause great harm, not just to Tesla, but to many companies. And while Tesla will weather the storm, there are many small companies that will not. Everything people have worked their whole life for is being destroyed in real time. And we're going to have many suppliers, we have many suppliers, that are having super hard times, especially the small ones. It's causing a lot of strife to a lot of people. This is the time to think about the future and also ask, is it right to infringe upon people's rights, just like what's happening now? I think the people are going to be very angry about this, and they are very angry, and it's like somebody should be. If somebody wants to stay in the house, that's great. They should be allowed to stay in the house, and they should not be compelled to leave. But to say that they cannot leave their house and that they will be arrested if they do so, this is fascist. This is not democratic. This is not freedom. Give the people back their G-damn freedoms. And he said this, unquote, actually said this in the middle of, a, of an earnings report. It must have been full five seconds before somebody, one of the accountants, recovered enough of their equilibrium to say, okay, <laughs> let's move on to the next question. Man, I heard the earnings call live. I'm a Tesla shareholder, by the way, full disclosure here. And I always prefer to go right to the sources for my news and not read somebody's opinion of what happened. And by the way, I recommend that for anyone who follows the news at all. Ignore the reporters. Go straight to the reported. Otherwise, you're going to get somebody's slant. And you should read the Washington Post. It was so funny. If it wasn't sad, man, oh man. I don't read the Washington Post, but I had to just to, to get the gist of everything that's going on. And it wasn't just the... Washington Post, all the media butchered his, butchered his comments. They engaged in a ton of logical fallacies trying to discredit him. Let me give you an example. They say something like, oh, you wouldn't get arrested in the Bay Area if you step out of your house, while ignoring all the other jurisdictions where you can get arrested for the crime of stepping out of your house, like Pennsylvania. Thank you, Mr. Big Bad Wolf Governor. Good grief. Get me started. And it's not just Elon Musk who's coming down on these bungled lockdowns. More and more news outlets are finally, finally starting report to report what I have been saying for the last seven episodes of the Pennsylvania Project. Things about Sweden, for example, how they are not in lockdown. How they have not made people's livelihoods illegal. How people are just going about their lives as usual. Yes, they're doing some social distancing, but it's the people who are deciding that. Not some government official, not some big bad wolf. Sweden is their smack dab in the middle of the pack, statistically speaking, when it comes to per capita corona deaths. And nobody's reporting per, cap per capita deaths. Are they starting to now? That's the first place I started. They said, oh, 20 people died. Well, 20 people out of how many? 20 people out of 20? 20 people out of 20 million? Two different things. Per capita death is the only way, the only way to measure these things. The bottom line here is that Sweden's libertarian approach is no better or worse than the rest of the world's lockdowns. They're not at the top of the heap. They're not at the bottom of the heap. They're in the middle of the heap. People are finally starting to report how there's no reason at all to shut down the economies of the planet. No reason at all to throw millions out of work. No reason at all. And I'm happy to see that the rest of the world is finally, finally starting to come around to its senses. Even the Wall Street Journal is reporting that. So you know it's got to be becoming mainstream if the Wall Street Journal is doing it. Halla effin' Luya, to quote Elon, kind of. It's about time. Let me leave with a quote from the statistician who was behind the journal article. 
because this sums it up nicely. Quote, if trends continue and Sweden remains in the middle of the statistical distribution, it will be a massive reproach to the total and prolonged shutdowns that are crippling our economy and may become to seen as the single most costly economic mistake in American history. Unquote. And Pennsylvania history, big bad wolf, indeed. And remember, you heard it first here on the Pennsylvania Project, starting at episode 50, and they're all out on the web. Go take a listen. On that smug note, that's going to have to wrap it up for episode 57 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about the pandemic? About Sweden not destroying their economy and Pennsylvania destroying ours? What do you think about animal rights? Were Ariel and I on the right target here? What do you think about opening your, your business anyway? You know, I heard Philadelphia is now upped the ante. $1,000 fine if you reopen your business. Man. So if you have something you'd like to say or anything Pennsylvania-related, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there as well as and on iTunes and a plethora of other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting in Philadelphia at 860 on your AM dial every Saturday at 10 a.m., among several other times now, and in Kutztown on KUR Radio at 1670 on the AM dial every Monday at 7 a.m. Every episode is also released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator Candace Winters, featured Toastmaster cohort Ariel Kamen, official bartender Brooke Smith, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.